Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on At The Movies, a non-playable character in a video game falls in love and becomes a hero. Don't have a good day, have a great day. Love that song. That's a new one. That's her. Her who? That's the dream girl, buddy. A truffle hunter in the Oregon backwoods has to go to town when someone steals his pig. I didn't think the business would take off, but here I am with egg on my face. But I think now it's time for somebody who knows what they're doing to take over. I want my pig back. Yeah. And I meet an Oscar-winning composer who has directed his first ever feature film. It's like when you go into a bar and you think, oh, I've got something funny to say. You say it to somebody and you realise they're not even listening to you. You're... You... You think, oh, God, humans aren't that good at communicating, really. Good morning, Goldie. Front of warm, dry gunfire mixed with late afternoon stabbings. Sunday should be warm and sunny, just a scattering of drive-bys. Great day for the beach, but not Hitman's Beach, which will be mined and sprayed with high-caliber fire. Medium coffee, cream two sugars. You know it. Mm. Who put a flavor grenade in my mouth? Pull the pin. Thank you for making this with such love. You're welcome. Officer Johnny! Have a good one, guy. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Mm. This is the greatest cup of coffee of all time. I want to write a song about it. I want to dance to that song with my body. I love my life. It's about finding your lane and just staying in it. That's why they call them comfort zones. They're so damn comfortable. Oh, Joe! Oh, Mondays, am I right, Joe? You said it, guy. Yeah! In more innocent times than these, a trip to the movies of a Friday night was an escape. An escape from the troubles of the world. Or just an escape from the working week. We would have dinner with our beloved and then wander to the local picture house to watch something that would take our minds off it all. Now, of course, we need that escapism more than ever. But since we tentatively started returning to cinemas last year, Hollywood got very tentative about what it would choose to put in them. Recent blockbusters that have been reviewed here have usually been much delayed and then also released simultaneously to streaming services or video on demand. I'm pleased to report that the Ryan Reynolds comedy Free Guy is only available in cinemas and is a happy reminder of more innocent times. It's proudly unambitious, 
a feat of entertainment engineering rather than art, totally reliant on the star power of its lead actors, and I loved almost every minute of it, for all of those reasons. Mr Reynolds plays a video game character, but not one of those protagonists like Wreck-It Ralph or Lara Croft. He plays Guy, a bank teller who works in the background. He's an extra, or as they call them in the video game world, a non-playable character. And in games like Free City, an online environment where players all share the same world, he's usually cannon fodder for frustrated gamers looking to experience a bit of consequence-free lawlessness. But our guy is a little bit different, and when he curiously puts on a pair of the special sunglasses that actual users wear in the game, he gets to see his world as the outsiders see it, and it is so exciting. Guy has a crush on a female player called Molotov Girl, played by Jodie Comer, the protean young star of Killing Eve. Now, I apologise in advance, but it must be a sign of my advancing age that I spent the entire film thinking I was watching another gifted actress and comedian, Anya Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gambit. Molotov Girl isn't any old player in the game. She's undercover, looking for the telltale bits of code that will reveal that the game was stolen from her and a colleague, played by Stranger Things' Joe Keery, stolen by the underhanded tech entrepreneur Antoine, played by Taika Waititi. He took their innocent little role-playing environment, a utopian digital Garden of Eden with the promise of a little artificial intelligence, and turned it into a vehicle for violence, criminality, mayhem, and humanity's baser instincts. Like how the peaceful world-building of SimCity eventually turned into Grand Theft Auto and made a billion dollars in the process. Nice skin! Thank you. That's sweet. How'd you get it? Well, uh, mostly genetics, I think. I'm pretty lucky. I have, I have naturally dewy skin. Listen up, Neutrogena. You know you can't go around looking like that. The rules are clear. And another thing, you can't hack the NPC avatars. No, sir! It screws up the mission load, Lose and it up. makes the game look bad. Horrible! Yeah. I got like 5% of that. Lose the skin! I lose... How am I supposed to get rid of my skin? Take it off, man. Just take it off. What are you doing? What? Seriously. The whole thing. The face, the How? outfit, everything. Ditch it. If you don't, we're gonna kill you. Why? And we're gonna keep killing you. Still why? Until we do find out who you are, and then we're gonna ban you for okay. life. No, no. Okay, I, I want to comply. I just find the order of those threats very confusing. Somebody's about to get shot. Light him off! At this point in Ryan Reynolds' career, he can do this sort of thing standing on his head. It's all shot in front of a green screen anyway. Who would know? His relaxed screen persona, all Canadian good looks, the fact that I keep mistaking him for Paul Rudd, and his little black book of celebrity cameos means that he is box office gold in this constrained age of ours. Dwayne Johnson, Nick Krasinski and Hugh Jackman make vocal appearances and were also witness to the return after a four-year injury break by a real-life Channing Tatum, another impossibly sexy and very funny leading man. I hadn't realised how much I've missed him. Again, like so many recent Reynolds star vehicles, he teases his audience, online gamers and Twitch streamers in this case, and their affectations just enough so that they can have the pleasure of being noticed without it going so far that they also feel insulted. I'm not a serious gamer. In fact, I'm a very bad gamer who has conspired to lose at FIFA consistently for over seven years, still optimistic that the next version is going to be the one that I finally crack. 
But even I can see that the gamer experience, the addiction, the exploitation, the frustration are all affectionately well presented, along with a few Easter eggs for those that are really in the know. The toxic fragility of much modern gamer culture is not delved into here. Local audiences will be pleased to see Taika Waititi back on screen and giving full vent to his improvisational ability. Another trend I've noticed recently is that actors from outside the US, which is to say almost all of them, are now allowed to use their own accents. Although in the case of the evil Antoine, maybe we'd rather he hadn't. I'm just saying we could make an original game. What? Make an original? Why would I do that when I can make a sequel? Sequel. So we could make it better? IPs and sequels. That is the thing that people want. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You love Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Mm -hmm. No. If you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I made Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I know that you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, why would I make another restaurant called, uh, I don't know, Albuquerque Boiled Turkey? Okay? Mm -hmm. Makes mm -hmm. no sense, homie. No sense. What am I going to give you? A sequel. Kentucky Fried Chicken Chicken. Part two. Ah, uh, yum. Free Guy is rated M for violence and offensive language, and it's in cinemas now. Just a little misunderstanding we got to get sorted out. They took my pig. What kind of pig? It's a truffle pig. What the f***? Wiki, you take over. Anyone f***s with Wiki? I'll break your fingers, mother f***. I read the other day that Nicolas Cage has made, on average, a film every two months since the start of the pandemic. It's true that a lot of these films are high-concept, straight-to-video genre films, but at least he turns up to do the work, unlike Bruce Willis, who only seems to like to work for three to four days on any picture these days. Cage is also attracted to the offbeat, and as we know from his Oscar-winning turn in Leaving Las Vegas, he can pull off the heaviest drama. His latest film, Pig, is a combination of the two. Cage plays Rob, a backwoodsman living in a remote cabin. At first you think this is a period piece, like First Cow, but then a bright yellow Camaro noisily turns up with a box of groceries. It's driven by Amir, played by Alex Wolfe, a supplier of high-end ingredients to top Portland restaurants. Rob is a truffle hunter, and his secret weapon is a pig who, apart from being the recipient of all his training, also happens to be Rob's best and only friend. Not long after, the pig is, how do I put this, pignapped in a daring late-night raid which leaves Rob badly beaten, but determined to get him back. Truffles, of course, are a rare and highly sought-after ingredient, and the high prices they can fetch make any advantage a hunter can get a lucrative one. The truffle hunters of Oregon are evidently protective of their turf and their methods, and like so many businesses where high rollers like to splash cash around, organised crime is not often far behind. What is the concept Um, well, uh, we're interested in taking local ingredients uh, native to this region and, and just deconstructing them, you know, making the, the familiar feel foreign, thereby giving us uh, an even greater appreciation of food as a whole. This is the kind of cooking you like? It's cutting edge. It's very exciting. Exciting. I mean, everybody loves it. You like cooking it? Absolutely. Derek, 
What was it you always used to talk about opening? Wasn't that a pub? So Pig is a chase film, as Cage's character, with his long-suffering driver Amir, searching across Portland for clues to the beast's whereabouts. But after a Fight Club-esque scene where I really thought I was going to lose my sympathies for the film, it turns into a meditation on something else entirely. Grief and the way that can devour your present at the same time as it strips you of your past. As we go, we realise that all of the central characters, maybe even the pig itself, who knows, are defined by the loss of a loved one too early. That sense of incompleteness, of fokamar at being left behind, of not doing enough to save them. And then the retreat from, or the rejection of, society. Rob finds himself back at the suburban home he shared with his deceased partner, Laurie, now occupied by a new family, and he attempts to make some human contact with one of them. What happened to the persimmon tree? What's a persimmon? It's a... uh, It's an orange fruit. Looks kind of like a tomato. You can't eat it if it's not ripe. It's awful. But if you give it time, it gets rid of these things called tannins. And then they're very good. I don't think we have a persimmon tree. No? It's okay. Did it die? It turns out that Rob had been one of the great chefs of Portland before his loss, and another unexpected turn the film takes is into food porn, those close-up shots of food preparation and plating that make you wish you'd eaten before you went to the pictures instead of putting it off. Indeed, this film does something I've never seen before, by crediting two of the key dishes we see being prepared, along with the original chefs who created them and the restaurants where they work. One day, after this lousy pandemic is over, I hope to visit Le Pigeon in Portland and try Chef Gabriel Rucker's Pigeon et Champignon. But the film is also scathing of modern trends in cuisine, in favour of authenticity and tradition, values that Rob feels like he's the only one still holding on to. Cage's Rob is a forlorn but stubborn figure throughout, and you have to wonder why his character would spend the night at Amir's upscale apartment and not avail himself of a shower to at least wash all the blood off his face. Is that another thing that you sacrifice when you are consumed with grief, I wonder? Your self-respect? I'm not sure I totally agree with that premise, but I do suppose that every grief is different. My son means well, but... uh... He's not cut out for this business. It'll eat him alive. I mean, he'll be okay. I'll find him a nice desk job, something out of the way. That's really where he belongs. I don't care. You know, he uh, he told me the first day that he met you. It's actually sweet. And I didn't think the business would take off, but... Here I am with egg on my face. But I think now it's time for somebody who knows what they're doing to take over. I want 
my pig back. Yeah. Pig is rated M for violence and offensive language, which coincidentally is exactly the same rating as Free Guy. But I can assure you that the impact on viewers of the violence and offensive language in each movie will be completely different. Pig opens in select cinemas across New Zealand this weekend. Stephen Warbeck won an Oscar in 1998 for his score for Shakespeare in Love, but he's been making music for films and theatre since graduating from university in the 1970s. His screen credits are legion, as they say. Billy Elliot, before Elton John turned it into a musical, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, and the Judy Dench and Billy Connolly drama about Queen Victoria, Mrs Brown. After more than 30 years in the business, Warbeck has made his first film, co-written and directed with John Paul Davidson. The Man in the Hat is like a film from another time, a gentle and relaxing road trip through rural France, with an uncharacteristically low-key Kieran Hines filling up almost the entirety of his tiny Fiat 500. Throughout his career, Warbeck has also made music for the stage, and when I spoke to him, he was sitting in a rehearsal room somewhere in London. There's a Hilary Mantel trilogy, and, and the last book of the trilogy is called The Mirror and the Light. It's about Thomas Cromwell. The first one was Wolf Hall, and it's the first day of rehearsals of, um, of that play today. So in an hour, we're doing a read-through of it, and I'm doing music for it. I want to ask you about this transition from um, essentially composition for screen and for live performance and then to decide well I actually want to make a film I've sort of always wanted to do it and I've always liked interfering in all aspects of filmmaking or theatre making so I don't I don't feel like we should stay just in our compartments so I feel like we've got something to say about other aspects of it so it really sprung from that how long has it been gestating then and um, I reckon that I started writing the first scene probably five years ago. And then the scenes, the scenes were written over about three, two to three years. And then um, we got together with Dominic Drumgore, one of the producers, then um, enlisted John Paul Davidson, who became the co-writer and co-director. Who, and then we worked together on, on this, uh, getting the script into a form where we could make it. It's sort of the outsider who, who's looking in on events and not quite part of life. So in a way, that's, that's what the man in the hat is. He's, you feel like maybe he's been right at the centre of things, but by the time this story happens, he's slightly sitting outside, maybe regretting things, maybe missing things, and he's the observer to whom things happen. Um, so I suppose Jacques Tati's the biggest influence. There's something about having those two central characters played by Kieran Hines and Stephen Delane who have who bring us a kind of menace and uh, and weight to the screen because of the history of what we've seen them play in the past. They're you know, they're often heavies or villains or what have you, and so there's there's a kind of sense of danger uh about the film before you, you know, the whole first act, you're thinking something's up here. What's what, what's up? And then and then the charm takes over. <laughs> Tell me about the casting. Um, well, I was working at the National Theatre with Kieran on a play called Translations. 
and I said to Dominic, he'd be perfect. Kieran would be perfect for this part. Um, Dominic's one of the producers, as I said. Um, can I give him the scripts? And he said, yes, of course. I gave him the scripts and we went and had a beer. And he said, I definitely want to do this. And his agent said within 20 minutes, he said, I want Kieran to do this. Um, we'll do anything we can to make this work. They both had a kind of, I think the fact that it, it is slightly unusual um, kind of grabbed, it grabbed Kieran. And I think also, interestingly, what you're saying about perhaps he's not always cast, like you say, as a, as a heavy or a threatening character, but perhaps because of that traditional, that his traditional casting, the fact that this was outside that, and this is a rather slightly lost, rather sensitive, rather curious um, character, I think that probably also appealed to him. And it, and and it's also very comedic, which is again, I mean, I have seen him, I have seen him in comedies, but usually, um, usually the straight the straight man in those in those films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then with with Stephen, um, um, we had to talk through a lot about the background of the character, which you don't see on screen at all. The fact that he was trained as a plumber, that he was still living with his mother. There was a huge kind of thing, a kind of chat about where that character had come from. But again, I thought that he it is essentially comic, although there's some slightly shockingly um, sad things that happen to him. He ends up he ends up happy. Um, I think again it's outside his normal the normal pattern of his casting. So I think if it did appeal to well it obviously did appeal to him because he did it. But <laughs> it's perhaps because it's sort of stands outside what you'd expect. There's very little dialogue in the film. There's 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 lots of sort of lyrical and musical interludes and uh, and lots of uh, lots of shots that I'm sure the the French tourist board once people start traveling again properly will be very pleased um, are out there in the world um, so and I know that scripts aren't all just dialogue but surely this wouldn't have been a very long read for Kieran Hines at the, uh, after that beer no it wasn't a very long read it was I think it was 40 pages and often a script would be 120 say but um, I've said this a couple of times before. If you think about your day, perhaps less you because of what you do, um, most of our time is spent in silence. I mean, we're not talking all the time. And even if you look at the waveform of a conversation, now I'm speaking faster than I would normally, the gaps are as important as the things you say. So actually, people say, oh, it's strange. It's an almost silent film. Most of our lives are silent. We're walking down the street. We're not talking all the time. You know, we're listening. We hear something. We hear a bus go on the street and we stop. And we listen. We don't talk. So I, I kind of felt like we should represent that and not should, but wanted to represent that, that a lot of our lives are spent observing and being part of life without necessarily chatting all the way. And, and certainly not always being the central character in the story <laughs> you know he the, the episodic sort of road movie nature of the film means that he that he is often sort of arriving while things are already in progress yes and you feel like he might have missed great bits of his life he might have missed them or they might have happened without him and yeah he stood outside and it's like when you go into a bar and you think, oh, I've got something funny to say, you say it to somebody and you realise they're not even listening to you. You're, you, 
think, oh God, humans aren't that good at communicating, really. The Man in the Hat is rated PG for sexual references and it has got to be one of the most charming and least offensive films I've seen in a long time. It opens in select cinemas around New Zealand this weekend. And that's our programme for this week, playing ourselves out with one of Stephen Warbeck's tunes from The Man in the Hat. This is called Pizza Van. I'm Dan Slevin, and you can find me on Twitter as at Dan Slevin, that's all one word, and there's more of me at rnz.co.nz forward slash widescreen. My three weeks here is now up, and Simon will be back presenting at the movies at the same time next week. Do join him then. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.